Welcome to the Living the Writing Life podcast. My guest today is Adrian Reeder, a communication specialist, writer, and author of three novels, Twist, Chosen, and her latest lounge act that's been called a sexy thriller with attitude. She writes mystery, speculative, literary fiction, and by her own admission is a compulsive blogger. She's also the co-host on the podcast, Goals Just Want to Have Fun, where she swaps terrible tales and general goal talk with Leo Buckley of Books Incorporated, San Francisco, and lead guitarist for Bay Area Bands, Penury, and Has Its Cure. Adrian holds a BA in philosophy from Mills College and an MFA in creative writing from California Institute of Integral Studies. She splits her time between San Francisco and Mendocino County, where her dog, Peaches, does bad things. In today's conversation, we'll discuss the practical and psychological struggles we go through when making time for our writing life. Welcome to the show, Adrian. Thank you, Nancy. And thank you for reaching out. It was nice revisiting my one piece for Authors Publish. And... I found your questions very, it, it was nice to come back at with from a, I wrote it a few years ago. From, so from a different perspective and a different view now, um, as, as you know, we're constantly growing as we're writing more and more and our voices are changing and our ideas are changing, which is if you're doing it right, what's supposed to happen. <laughs> and um, one of the questions, unless, unless you, you wanted to, Go okay. So one of the questions I found um, most interest interesting right off the bat was why I used the term selfish, and what why I would put it in such a negative context with using the term selfish when I could have used the term protective, or you know, you know sacrosanct. <laughs> You're keeping your writing time and your your creative mobility going, and really. I had to think about that for a second and really why I chose to use this term selfish was just beating judgmental non-creatives to the punch. (laughs) If, okay, if, if you're going to ask why I would take the time, which people consider um, writing or non-creative people in particular that don't understand that need or necessity or the value in it. Um, would consider it a luxury, which I mean, really it is, but don't, don't see the value in it. And so my answer to them is, uh, yes, I'm selfish and I'm okay with that. <laughs> what else you got for me? <laughs> so that's why I use that term. Yeah. You know, it, it, it does, because that's, I think, um, what the perception is a lot of times um, with the non-creatives when they look at us, because it's it's like, I mean, the, the conversations tend to go with this, especially when it's people who don't know you well and you've just been introduced. Oh, what do you do for a living? I'm a writer. Oh, have you been published? That's always the first question. Yes. If you haven't been published, then they just kind of look at you like, okay, you're a failure. And then, I mean, I've actually had people come right out when I say, you know, I've had a few books out. Oh, how much did you make in royalties? I mean, the most bizarre questions because everything is judged on on a monetary scale. And And it's so rude. It really is amazing how many times you'll be asked in a group at a party. Well, how much money did you make off of that? If I asked you... (laughs) what what your assets were <laughs> exactly. how much is your mortgage you would be absolutely offended so the fact that this is a, such a you know common thing to be asked in in a in a, in a public setting it it's just it's so it, it's rude and it's also implying that um what i'm doing is not worth the time if if there's not anything to be made if there's not anything monetary to be made like I'm not contributing to society (laughs) or culture it's 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 really interesting yeah I mean that that is so true and and you know going along with 
Uh, how much did you make in royalties? What have you, your book sales been? Have you won any awards? I mean, there's all these implied judgments on whether or not, first of all, you are a real writer, quote unquote. And if your answers don't match what they expect, then it's kind of like, well, how could you spend time doing that? You know, you're, you're just, you're, you're wasting time or I don't know. There, there's very much um, the feeling that um, if you're not, like you said, if you're not contributing, if you're not earning, then you're just like a dilettante or you're faking it or you just think you're a writer. And, you know, sometimes even family members, you know, it's kind of like, oh, how nice you're writing. When are you going to get a job? You know, <laughs> that kind of right. thing. Or, or you ask someone to watch the children or whatever, because you need some writing time. And it's kind of like, oh, you know, like, like, as if you were saying, I'm going to paint my nails. Can you watch the kids? You know, I mean, just, just at that level. I mean, fortunately I'm past that stage, but it is still, um, you know, I don't have anybody questioning me now, basically because there's no one here to question me, but be that as it may, there, there's still that imply judgment. And, and I'm wondering too, do you feel that is directed more when it's a woman um, who's doing the writing versus a man? Or do you think writers of both sexes kind of get nailed that way? I think writers of both sexes, but more so women. I, I get asked, um, I've had my writing referred to as a hobby, whereas my, my, uh, my, a colleague of mine never has had issues with that. And he also writes mystery novels and that's, that's uh, what he has his agent and his, and his traditional publisher for there it goes. But uh, yeah, it, I, I see w women's work is uh, definitely viewed as not being as important. It, uh, it diminishes the, um, the the perception and the context of it it's it's why women use pen names and and use their first initials really um i think that even when uh male writers who use female protagonists they, their work still gets taken more seriously and in, in that they tend to um have they have more sway and in the writing process and what they have to say about the writing process and what, what makes writing important and what makes a work not as important. Um, it's definitely in, in that um, uh, patriarchal uh, European construct that, you know, you have to really peel back the layers to see where that comes from and the history behind that. But uh, when it comes to writing and having that I think that what gives my writing value is when I have a breakthrough and I, I re really love Ta-Nehisi Coates's uh he had an he has an interview youth um, through the Atlantic and it's it's available on YouTube and I recommend all writers to to watch it it's a really short uh, question Q&A piece with Ta-Nehisi Coates who wrote Between the World and Me um just a, just a fabulous genius, the brilliant man. And I think that uh, really it comes to going through those breakthroughs, constantly growing as a writer. He describes writing as an act of courage. It's, it's, all, it's, it's so much about failure and that's what makes writing so depressing <laughs> because you really do have to fail forward through it. And uh I look at old work and so much of my work is cringeworthy, but if I didn't get all that bad stuff out, I wouldn't be able to have gotten to the good. And, and it's about applying pressure to yourself. And what I say to people that are in uh, non-creative households or don't see, feel like they have that much of a community is to reach out online. And I'm fortunate to have a, a, a community base in San Francisco where with literary lawns and through my uh, staying in, in contact with my master's of fine arts co cohort uh, through Carolyn Cook and um, 
the the wonderful experiences uh, experiences I had uh, and connections I made through that program. But I also go. Uh, I'm a part of the Insecure Writer Support Group, which was started by science fiction writer Alex J. Coveno, and we have a blog hop that we do monthly where we support each other and we talk about our fears and our insecurities about our our writing and and give advice to others that are in situations that we have gone through and what what we can do to be uh, to, you know of service. So to kind of pay it forward because someone's held space for us, but to grow those new muscles and to really, I mean, you have to, and it doesn't necessarily have to be external though. I find that that's what works for me. You could be, and you can put internal pressure on yourself, but it's about applying pressure. You have to be kind of under this amount of pressure to force yourself out because it's not writing, being, creating, pushing yourself and pushing yourself to limits you didn't know you could ex- exceed the past the past your expectations it it's an it put puts yourself in an uncomfortable situation and you have to sit with that discomfort to get that work out and so when if you have a publishing option that that has time constraints which i would have if i say i pitched a piece or i have someone interested in a new novel i would I would really have to, it's just like self-care, taking care of yourself. You have to make time for it or you're not going to do it. And I, and, and writing is kind of like that with self-care. It's like getting yourself to the gym. You really have to make time for that. And that's what I say about being selfish with your writing. And I, and I think for women, it's a double-edged sword. We're told, um, especially when it comes to, you know, have, when it comes to kids, which, which I'm at a point in my life where I'm considering children and I have, uh, other artists who, um, are prolific writers in the Bay area that also are mothers, you know, they, they, they are, uh, full-time moms, but they also have their careers. It's a double-edged sword. You're, you're considered selfish if you have a career and you're trying to parent and, or, even when you're in a lucky enough situation where you don't have to, you're considered selfish if you give up a career and <laughs> decide to full-time parent because now people are accusing you of not wanting to work and hiding behind the martyrdom of motherhood. You, it's, it's, we can't win for losing. So <laughs> that, that's, I mean, I, I didn't make the rules. They were like this when I got here. <laughs> I'm just calling it like I see it. Oh, they've been like that for a long time. I can tell you. And and it is, it is, it is a difficult thing because we know how important it is to us. And at the same time, you're right. You're, you're always being pulled and whether you're being pulled because you have family responsibilities, whether it's children or elderly parents, or whether you're being pulled because you have to have a full-time job that contributes to the running of the household. So you have to do that job and try to write. I mean, it's, there is no easy solution. And, you know, sometimes I think just stop looking for the solution, just accept the fact that it's going to be difficult. And, you know, how badly do you want to do this? You know, at the same time, I think it would be a mistake to, and, and I think some people do this and they do this, not just with writing, but with other things they think, well, when I'm retired, when the kids leave and they go off on their own or when I'm retired, then I'm going to do this. And it's like, you know, not to be morbid, but who says you're going to make it? Who says you're still going to be here? I mean, especially after COVID, if there's one thing we've learned is there is no guarantee that you're going to get that magic time of don't have to worry about anybody else and can just do what I want. So if there's something you want to accomplish, you need to do it now, even if you can only give it a quarter of the time you would like, but a quarter is better than nothing. 
Well, and every overnight success is 10 years in the making, right? We have this, we, we love our American stories of these, this, oh, they, she wrote a novel in two weeks and now she's a New York Times bestseller and she's able to pay, pay you know, off for her skid, for her kids to go to university. And it, it isn't as amazing when really there, there, there were years and years of, of writing and failing and failing that it, it's just not marketable. It's not a marketable story. So they're not going to tell that part of it. So, and also, right, I forget who said it. I wish I could quote them properly, but someone did say writing is 80% procrastination. So it, it, when you sit down to write, or at least when I sit down to write, which I do in, in the, the very early hours of the morning before the sun is up, um, usually I get the most writing done. I'm most prolific at that time when I'm in the semi-conscious semi state and it's, really um to kind of dial back to to, to what I was going it it sorry I I I lost with the so so what I wanted to bring up was uh a, a writer that you know I I find really inspiring and she had the thank you peaches lovely that, that that's peaches doing bad things I was gonna say that's a I bad wasn't thing. lying <laughs> <laughs> so um but M michelle mcnamara uh sorry mcnamara mcnamara michelle mcnamara i'm like you i like to get names right uh who uh published who had published um i'll be gone in the dark and they did an hbo series on her research and writing this work and how they caught the golden state killer and the amazing blog that she had her crime blog which was fantastically successful because she is a, an amazing writer and she she had a, a a child with comedian uh peyton oswald um and i and Patton oswald oswald and i I really liked in the series how they talked about her process and that it would take her hours to get to. And that's what I was getting at with discussing my writing in early in the morning was it takes a while to sit there and get the writing out. It, it does take some organization of thought and reviewing past notes and, and editing and revising because what is in your head, you get maybe 20% down on the page your first round and it's about redrafting and redrafting and revising and revising and um, looking for that breakthrough and I really liked in the HBO series it showed she had a sign that she would hang on her door which is mommy's writing so you can't go in the office that's mommy's office and she's working so and that was so cool because she was un unapologetically holding the space for herself she it's okay to be selfish with your writing time you have to be it, it, but it's like self-care you have to schedule it in exactly and, and you know the other thing is i think it's actually a good thing if you have children and you're teaching them that this is mommy's writing time this is mommy's painting time whatever the creative endeavor it is because that's also teaching them that it is a good thing to pursue the arts, regardless of whether that becomes your income producing occupation or something you do in addition to whatever you have to do to keep food on the table and the lights on. But it but it's showing them it has a value. And you know, it's not that mommy doesn't love you or mommy loves her writing more than she loves you, but it is saying. It's okay. It's okay to do these things that are important to you, just for you, even, even if it's not making a big difference and we can't go to Disneyland with the money that I'm earning. You know, I, I think it's, it's a good lesson for kids because so much of what they hear is all about rating everything by money. And um, as, as we all know, there are things that are worth more than money. We definitely need to put a, a higher value on the arts in our society. I'm lucky to be in the bubble of the Bay Area or in Mendocino, where um, there there is a community and a respect 
Um, I know that not everyone, uh, it, it's, it's a struggle when you're growing up, especially for um, young creatives and, 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 and you feel like, you know, the stork dropped you down the wrong chimney or <laughs> you, you just, you, you don't have that, that kind of support. Cause Pete, you, you know, you, you feel misunderstood. And I think part of being an artist is being able to accept being misunderstood and just being cool with that. Like we don't actually need everyone to understand us, we, but art isn't created in a vacuum and we do need a community. So doing whatever you have to do to find that um, for support is very important, but also being able to sit with being misunderstood and being okay with that. Cause you do, when you, you can tell when you're reading someone's writing and, and they're, it's not, it doesn't, the authenticity of it is questionable. It feels kind of people pleasing. They're placating with what they're saying. And it, it tends, to, you can tell because it tends to not be very good. Um, you know, art is supposed to challenge us. And um, uh, I think it was Bansky that said, um, art makes uh, the comfortable disturbed and the disturbed comfortable <laughs> feel comfortable, okay. something like that. I'm, I'm, mm -hmm. I, I'm butchering that terribly, but I, I do, uh, I do reach back to one of my favorite, uh, essay anthologies by, uh, writers that I admire is, um, how I write. And it uh, they, it has pictures of their writing spaces or their talismans, and they all have their own process. And it's all uniquely crazy and interesting and wonderful. And it's just so validating that, okay, I need this space. And there's no right or wrong way to execute this. So, it, and it takes a lot of trying. You have to figure out what works for you. And that's... that that if you can get past that part and find how you operate and what makes you produce what how you feel your voice should be heard that in and of itself that's the showing up part I talk about and it's, it's okay to be selfish with your writing is you know showing up is half the battle you just got to show up and that's that's the half the battle is done there now now we can create and we can stay focused and having direction and having purpose is so important. And that's what I feel when you feel like you have the direction and you feel like you're, you have that purpose in your life and writing is giving that to you. That is worth more than any monetary game that, and that's what makes you a successful writer. Absolutely. Um, you know, one, one of the things, and, and we've been talking so far about, other people's perceptions, but I think many times it's it's our own perception, our own thought processes, how we view ourselves um, as whether or not we're being successful or whether or not we should be doing it. And and you know there there were times. I mean, I've been writing for a really long time. You know, there have been times where I have to kind of sit down and talk to myself and say okay, just because this is all, because I, I write for a living as a copywriter and I used to be a magazine writer. So it's kind of like, okay, just because this is all I earned or this is, you know, this was, this particular article showed up in a relatively small magazine, not one of the big ones, whatever. Um, it's still okay. It's, you know, it's having, it's having that confidence and giving yourself permission and it can be really hard if you're having a bad time or you read about somebody else's success and you're thinking, what about me? And of course, the older you get, the more you're feeling that, okay, I'm now running out of time. You know, I, I thought I would, I thought I would have achieved this by the time I hit 30. Oh, but now I'm 40. Oh, now I'm 50. God help us. Now I'm in my 60th decade and I still haven't reach this magical pinnacle that makes me feel good all the time. I, and I don't know if you ever struggle with that feeling. And, and if so, 
What do you say to yourself to get yourself back on track? Absolutely. When I start invalidating myself with negative self-talk and um, there are these milestones that I've thought, you know, I needed to hit that I missed by like, you know, light years (laughs) and just, uh, just staying realistic and knowing that what I'm doing serves a purpose for me. It serves a purpose for my audience because I do have an audience and there, and it's not, it's not a huge audience. And there are times where I, I will laugh at myself and look at something really dumb that I did. Thank God I'm a nobody because this is going to, this can be buried. And there's a lot of stuff I'd like to be buried, but also all the, you see, the more you push, the more avenues, more doors open for you and you, and they're, you know, doing stand up at the makeout room, room in San Francisco and having my podcast and having, um, having artists from across the pond, reach out to me in Ireland and England. And, um, uh, had Hugh, Hugh Doolin, um, uh, a composer who did the hundredth anniversary of Nosferatu. And I got, I had an interview with him and ghouls just want to have fun. And it was absolutely a blast. And I, and, you know, uh, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've dealt with other artists, musicians, uh, directors, uh, I did, you know, film reviews. It's been, it, you never know what other doors are going to open as you keep pressing forward. And that negative self-talk of the comparing yourself, the, the, it, 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 it is, am I really worth that? Is my, is my voice even that important? You see every writer goes through those slumps. And I think that reading other writers that, you know, are absolutely fabulous and fantastic. Writing about themselves in that way <laughs> does give you some perspective. It never goes away. And just like Ta-Nehisi Coates says, you apply the pressure and hopefully you grow new muscles. And when you're a new writer and you're out there and people are critiquing your work for the first time, you, it's it's almost like you have no skin on. You haven't you haven't built that toughness up and you're just like this bendy you know, easy to carve into pine. And if you keep going and like, it's an act of courage. If you keep pushing through soon, you will be like, Oh, you'll be carved out of, you know, Oak or Redwood. It's just, that's, it's not going to hurt. It's not going to, it's not going to feel so bad. You're bigger now, less penetrable. Right. And able to, to able to discern the, the, the um, good, the, the helpful, critique from the non-helpful critique because you because you have a stronger voice and you're able to you you know what you're getting at and okay I failed here this is what I need to work on because I wasn't able to communicate that properly yeah I I, I think that that's a um, something I think we come to through the process because initially as writers we think it should be perfect right out of the gate. And if it's not, I failed. And really it is a process like any other craft. You get better the more that you do it, you know, and, you, and you're supposed to learn. And if you, if you get um, constructive feedback that points to things that, um, ways that you can improve your writing, you know, it, it when you're new to it, there's that knee-jerk response, either don't tell me how to write or I'm a failure and I'll never get it right. But as you get better, it's like, oh, I'm glad you pointed that out. You're right. I, this would be better if I would fix it because you also start learning what are some of your bad habits. I mean, I'm going through this now. I just had a developmental editor go through my second novel and I decided okay, we'll work on the second one instead of the first one, work on the second one first. And she pointed out something I do consistently, which is bad. Okay. It's like bad <laughs> writing, you know, and she said, you, you keep breaking, uh, you're, you're building up momentum. You're building up um, like tension 
And then all of a sudden, it's like I make a right turn temporarily, or like you're going up a hill and you pull off into a byway. And she's like, don't do that. Fin finish your upward and then work the rest of that in. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, I do that all the time. I do that when I'm talking. But you know, when you're writing, <laughs> you're not supposed to do that. And I thought, well, this is good because she pointed it out so clearly. And it's like, mm. all right, take that information. And now I know as I'm writing, because in a short story, I don't do that because I know I have to get to the point, but 85,000 words, oh, I could stuff this in here, there. And it's like, no, not really, you, you can't. And so it is a learning process. And, and I think that's the other thing, you know, that we need to remember as writers, whatever stage we're at is when we get feedback, if it is constructive, if it is not coming out of jealousy or whatever but if it is if it is constructive useful feedback don't take it personally learn from it because every time now you're going to get better yes and like you know art isn't created in a vacuum and as you you know that as you build new muscles and you get less penetrable and less sensitive uh even the the negative the, the totally non-constructive just uh, just you know, way of criticism that, you know, is just wrong. <laughs> That's just mean. It's almost like a Rorschach test on, on that you're giving to the person who's commenting on your work because it says far more about them and that portion of your audience than it does you. And, uh, and these general, general, um, misconceptions or mis misinformation about the, 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 the subject, the topic that that you're writing on and writing towards, and and their perspective, it's really interesting because if you can if you can you know get you know three degrees of separation, and and not take it personally, but just be like, what you know that's so interesting that it made them so angry or they found it so disgusting or or so uh, such a waste of time that they felt the need to spend more time to write about why it was a waste of time, <laughs> so. <laughs> It's, it's, it, it, I don't know. It's, it's, it, it's interesting and it is a process, but as you go farther down the line, real, I, I'll always circle back to, it comes down to purpose and direction. And that's what makes, that's, that's what gives it its worth mm -hmm. for, for our lives and others, I think. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, one of the things that, that I was interested in when I, when I read your bio is, is the fact that, you know, you, you write for a living, you're a content creator, communication specialist, you also write novels, you know, you write fiction. How do you balance it? Not the time requirements of, okay, this is the work, because I always like to refer to it as work writing and my writing. Okay. Mm -hmm. But how do you do it from a creative standpoint where you have to, I spent most of the morning to give you an example. I spent most of the morning writing about hydrogen fuel cells that power transport trucks in ports. Okay. <laughs> Which is like, so unrelated to the novel that I'm editing, right? But it is also <laughs> it is also deadline. I had to do it. Money, you know, money was going to change hands for this. How do you um, how do you do it creatively, where where you can make that separation between work writing and your your other writing? It, it sounds like my experience uh, writing about. Uh, shoulder surgery recovery and solar panels <laughs> of which I've had I have neither um I yes well and I hope my clients aren't listening to this <laughs> but I do res <laughs> I reserve my most creative time which is in the morning when I'm still in that semi-conscious state of just waking up and I'm I'm not frettered with with all this mundane 
stuff. No one's calling me. The world is still asleep. Therefore, that part of my mind, the practical part can be asleep and I can really channel my my creative energy towards my work. And I'm always working on a project. I always have a novel I'm working on. I always have a side project I'm, I, I'm working on. I always have a collaborative project that I'm working on. But I can focus those the, those golden hours, which is really crazy to talk. I used to have a night kind of thing when I was still I, I when I quit drink, drinking alcohol like completely. I started waking up at five a.m. and then sometimes four thirty. It's very bizarre. But everyone is asleep, and that's when I'm the most productive now. And I was still like that even when I was drinking and going to grad school, and um, you know, I was <laughs> doing doing literary salons at bars and 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 uh, Vesuvio and and <laughs> and next to City Lights and North Beach, which is like always going off and do it. You know, go 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 go. I would still, if I woke up, it if my early morning hours are my most productive. And I save that for myself because it is easy to get burnout when you are, when you are creating for other people and other platforms and, and, and you need that, that consistent paycheck, you need those invoices to go out at a certain time. So you need the product placement there. And it's, <laughs> it, and, and the self-promoting the marketing, that's when our, ugh, I, I mean, I, I do that for my clients and I just have no room for myself and that's okay. I can let that part go as long as I'm creating, even if I'm not getting, gaining traction with growing an audience, I'm good with that because I'm still able to do what I love. And I'm still able to have my purpose and direction with my art. You know, you, you touched on something that every time I talk to authors, it always ends up coming up um, or, or writers, even if they don't have a book that they're doing, say, short stories or essays or whatever. Um, it's that whole marketing thing. It is that whole I I freely admit I am in awe of people who are, you know, you go on social media and, and they're they're promoting their their latest book or they're saying something uh posting something on social media that in some way ties to their platform or whatever i'm in awe of that okay because social media is still for me even though i know it's it's been around for a long time it's still a new thing for me in 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 the sense of i don't come to it naturally um but it's also the marketing thing, I mean, as much as writers love to talk to other writers, love to talk to people who read their work. I mean, we do love that part of it, you know, assuming we're not getting slammed with criticism. But, you know, we enjoy that. But it is the nuts and bolts of marketing. And I have yet to come up with anybody that I've interviewed who says, oh, I just love spending hours working my marketing plan and figuring out what I need to do next. I mean, it is, it is such a drain. And at the same time, if we don't do it, then we don't, we don't build our platform. We don't get say the book sales or the attention or whatever. It is, it is such a challenge. Um, so do you, do you not do it? I mean, I've, I've had authors who say, I'm not also because I'll say, give me all your social media handles. I'm not on social media. They just they're just not doing it because they see it as a drain. What is how do you handle it? It's a time suck. But even um, I have friends that are very successful, traditionally published authors and you have a team. It's it's a lot of people are hybrid authors for that reason. They like the complete control. I do not. I've, I don't like self-publishing. I don't, I, I like to have a team, but, um, I, I, I've been fortunate. I I've been sitting on completed works because I don't want to have to do that. And I'm still trying to find places for it. And it just takes forever. And that promote, I mean, we're talking about pitching and querying and doing all that, 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 that's just one part of it. And that's a full-time job in and of itself doing the research, 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 research. It's just, it, it's all, and it has nothing to do with the work. It's, well, I, mean, I guess it, it does because you're trying to find a place for it and who specializes in what you're trying to sell. However, you are constantly have, there are friends of mine who are just bulldogs when it comes to this stuff and are and getting themselves out there. And I'm just like, yeah, I, I, 
I don't know where you get all the energy because I have lots of energy and I don't I I can't figure it out. But even the traditionally published ones who are successful, they still have to do even though they have mar- a marketing sales team behind them through one of the top five. You know, it's like you're you got published by Simon and Schuster. Why do you have to <laughs> use? Yeah, oh yeah, no, I still have to. I you know I I have to dance. I still have to do all this dancing and, and being in in social media and having, having that presence is so key. And and people are still astounded. You don't have a TikTok account associated with your Instagram. It's like, oh my God, I have to do one more. And, (laughs) and, and I, but it, it is, it's, it's part, part of the deal. It's part of the process. Um, You know, it, it would be nice if that wasn't a necessary evil, but it is. And it's one of those things that we just don't like to talk about as artists is, is that, that other side of, um, being accessible and, and growing an audience is, it is about connections who, you know, um, hitting things at the right time, putting yourself out there and being shameless about it. Um, I mean, and that, and that is, I mean, we have to be shameless about, and it is, it can be so hard, especially when you're new to it, it can be so hard to try and you feel like you're selling yourself. I remember when, when my first book came out back in 2004 and going to the bookstore, I mean, that was back in the old days, you know, when there wasn't the digital presence so much. So you physically showed up everywhere. Right. And the, the humiliation, that's the only word I can think of, the humiliation of standing next to the table for two hours with your lovely little stack of books and bookmarks and your pens and having people just walk right past you, right past you, right past you. I mean, it took me a long time to figure out how to do a book signing so that I didn't feel like I was the unwanted fuller brush man or Tupperware lady knocking on the door, <laughs> bothering people. I mean, it, it's not anything, um, unless you are a naturally gregarious person, it is not something that comes easily to us because we spend so much time alone creating. And then all of a sudden we're supposed to go out there and be Susie Smile and get people to stop by our table. And um, it's hard. Oh, it's a thankless drop. Well, I have a friend that's just so... I mean, the ego that would never die in the most wonderful way. She's a know-it-all and she's in your face and crazy. And I love her, but she would, she was selling books out of the trunk of her car, like literally stopping off at places at stores and and they had ISBN numbers and were, you know, all legit and everything, you know, like you you could get them through Ingram. They weren't just on Amazon, which is like the hiss boo of brick and mortar indie bookstores. Um, and back in the day, I mean, before Barnes and Noble, they weren't called indie bookstores. They were just called bookstores. But we, we have less and less, less of that now. And it, the publishing world has, it changes by the minute. But um, to see those, those, those people just out there and just, you know, going to get it, it's, it's really inspiring. And then to, to talk to brilliant people that that are my mentors and to have them tell me like a professor told me that one person signed up uh, showed up to a book signing of hers in Chicago and sat down in the seat for like there were like 15 seats in this small bookstore and she she thought she'd had there was a blizzard or something but she thought she would at least have um the friends that she had around from the Chicago Art Institute show up and they didn't because of the weather but she said it was so strange because she did have a microphone and she was introduced by the, the bookstore host and there was one woman who sat down with a bag of chips and was eating chips really loudly as she was just hoping that her voice on the microphone would draw people to take take a seat. Some people that were just getting in out of a blizzard. But I just thought that was such a great story because if that could, it really is about failing forward and just accepting that you don't know what to expect no matter what. Yeah, that that is absolutely true. And it's and, and telling yourself, especially after one of those disastrous events, that, okay, this is not a reflection of you as a writer. This is not a reflection on your work. It's 
just the way it is. Um, it, it just, that was just a bad event. That just didn't work out the way you wanted. It doesn't mean the next one's going to be bad. You know, I mean, we, we have all these conversations all, all the way home. As we're driving home, we have these conversations. But yeah, I mean, it's because sometimes you'll have a good event, you know, mm-hmm. but um, so often it is just, um, it's just really interesting, you know, and that's when you sit there and go, why am I doing this? Well, I'm doing it because because I have something to say, or or you get an email from somebody who says, I love that story of yours that I read in, in some obscure little literary journal online. And they go, I just loved it. It's like, oh, thank you. You know, that's why I always tell people, you know, I, I do well before COVID, I used to do a lot of writing classes and that. And I would say, if you do nothing else, write a review, send a thank you mm-hmm. letter, do something to a writer whose work you love. Okay. That's, I'm not saying do it to me, but do it somebody, (laughs) preferably somebody who's still alive, send them a note, send them an email, tell them why their work mattered because we hear it so rarely. And when it comes, it is like gold, you know, you want to blow it up and hang it up on your wall because it means it's like the tree falling in the forest. Oh, somebody heard, heard it, you know? Somebody liked it. And so I guess I don't stink as a writer because somebody out there who's not related to me liked it. Yes. <laughs> Those are always, and, and I think that is that's a big part of it is we have to we have to find multiple ways to reinforce our own sense of, of confidence as a writer, our own belief in ourselves, because um nobody's going to do it for you. They will, they will, you will, there's far more discourage, discouraging advice than encouraging advice when it comes to it. And it, it, you really have, you develop a deep inner strength when you really keep going. And and I also tell people who, (laughs) well, to say, oh, I've been thinking about this forever. So I'm just going to write a novel today. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm always encouraging. I'm always like, that's great. You know, just go for it. But, you know, like what, what are you, you know, what are you thinking? Have you, have you thought about starting with a short story first or, you know, maybe just um, collaborating with other or taking a writing workshop? I usually, I, I, I definitely push towards a, a writing workshop, finding a community, but to say, I'm going to, I'm going to write a great novel now that I have a three-day weekend. It's kind of like, I'm going to be a concert pianist today. <laughs> It doesn't work that way. It's, it's, it takes a lot of work to be able to develop your voice. It's a lot of copying other writers whose voices that you that 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 resonate with you and kind of and slowly it starts to form into your own voice that is very distinct. And if somebody read your work who's familiar with you and they didn't know your name was attached to it, they would know it was yours. Exactly. That kind of thing. That's the dream, right? That's what we're all trying to get to. Exactly. <laughs> At least that's that's my dream. <laughs> well, I always so like to. Personal. <laughs> we all have that dream, you know, that people will, like you said, they'll pick it up and they'll go, oh, I know who wrote this. I can read three paragraphs and I just know her voice and I just, and, and they follow it with, and I just love everything that she writes, you know, do we, right, always, right. do we not always want this? Well, I always like to, to have as my last question. You've already touched on this, but I'm going to ask it anyways. What is your definition of success? How do you know if you're succeeding as a writer? I like, I, and I'll circle back to the, um, but, but I'll, I'll expound on it a bit more. Um, I, I'll circle back to purpose and direction, but also growth and seeing the growth, even though there there's work that I just wish I could delete off the internet, but you can't delete the internet at all. <laughs> I mean, at least when it was just the printed word, you could bury stuff a bit easier, but everything is multiplied exponentially once it's put online. So that's impossible. But when I do now that I'm much, I, I, I'm a little, I, you know, I, I've, I have thicker skin now and I, that continues to, to grow. Um, but I can see where I've got bent, gotten better by reading older, older work 
where my voice is stronger, what, what it, it, and how much more authentic my work get, gets, the more, the more that I know myself and the, the more that, um, the different life experiences and changes that I, that I, it, it's nice to go back to the older work that's still there and will haunt me in the best way now, <laughs> but it reminds you how, of how far you've come. So it's, it's about direction and purpose and seeing the, and continuing to grow. Absolutely. Very humbling, humbling experience. <laughs> but it would be far worse if you looked at today's work and you said, this isn't any better than what I wrote 20 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> right. Then, you know, okay, there's, there's a problem here somewhere, but no, I, I, I should have never stopped drinking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why did I do that? Yeah. Well, I, I think, I think that is a good definition of, of it because it is something that, that also is within your control. We can't control sales. We can't control a reader's perception of our work. All we can control is our own output and our own development as a writer. And as long as we keep failing forward, as you said, um, I think then we are being successful. That's that's what matters. I mean, it, yeah, it would be great to have the Brinks truck pull up with our money, but you know, that being said, it's it's knowing that each day we're approaching approaching it as something worthy of our time and attention, and and that we're going to try and do the best. And not every day is a good writing day, but I like to think that at least every day writing is a good day. You know. But, absolutely, um, absolutely. Well, I and- really really loved having you on the show and um, I wish you continued success with your writing and uh, with everything else that you've got on your plate because you are one very busy woman. Well, <laughs> I I wanted to end this I wanted to end this with um with a bright uh he's a cosmologist at CIS in San Francisco. Um and his name is Brian Swim, and he he puts it so, so succinctly in this quote by him is by pursuing your allurements, you help bind the universe together. The unity of the world rests on the pursuit of your passion, and that resonates with me so much. And I put that at the end of some of my insecure writer support group posts. So I wanted to end the, this this conversation with that note. <laughs> that is that is so apropos and and such an inspiring thing. I, I appreciate you bringing that quote to to our our interview today. So, anyways, um, thanks again for being part of the show, and thanks to everyone who joined us here at Living the Writing Life. Thank you, Nancy.